Welcome to today's podcast. Eileen is a best-selling author and teacher who is obsessed with helping you live your dream life God's way. Well, hey, Michaela, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I am so super pumped that we just grabbed this time with you. I know how in demand you are as a brain expert and as a therapist, but I'm so excited because so many people write in asking me questions about you know, how they can get unstuck in their life or how they can move forward, how they can discover their purpose. People write in and say, Eileen, how do I become confident? And it seems like such a huge question. And I sometimes feel like I have the resources to give people. But what I love about what you do is you have through years of experience and research and your training, you've actually found the system to help people get unstuck. It's not ethereal. It's not mysterious. You actually have a process. I read somewhere that you actually have an 80 to 90% success rate after people just visiting you for three sessions, experiencing huge breakthroughs and getting over lifelong addictions, lifelong struggles. They haven't been able to get out in years. They overcome in three sessions with you. So I'm just <laughs> excited. I want you to just, maybe you could tell us a little about your story. Like how did you get involved as a therapist and what drove you to get involved in that field of study? Well, I mean, initially, you know, it's like I've told some people that first 20 years of my life, I was a musician. So wow. this certainly yeah. wasn't anything that I planned to do. Okay. It just kind of happened. But it was a result of having gone through, you know, life experiences and having the mentality of pushing forward yep. and, you know, focus on the, the future. But finding that in that process, there, I was still struggling with the anxiety that would come up and I would still have all of this second guessing and, and these thoughts. So I could do all of, you know, the scary things and I could, you know, there was accomplishments, but what I didn't like was I didn't like the fact that I couldn't get rid of the past that was still in my head and it just didn't seem fair, you know? So that's when I started studying psychology and, you know, what began as just a bachelor's turned into a master's turned into a doctorate because I, mm. I really wanted to figure out there's got to be an answer. Wow. There's got to be more to this. You know, why are people going to talk therapy for, you know, five, 10 years and still struggling? And that's when I started right after school working in treatment facilities and mm. I worked with addiction and, and you name it. Wow. And what I didn't like in that setting was that the relapse rate was so high. so high. And once again, we're you know working with people and it's like, okay, if this treatment, if the relapse is so high, why don't we do something different? And, you know, in that forum, you're really constricted unless you are, you know, running the place, you're really constricted. And so I started researching on my own, you know, neurofeedback and hypnosis and every kind of treatment out there until I came across something that I personally believed would work on me because mm. I figured if it would work on me, it would work on everybody because, you know, just like everybody else. And it wasn't until I came across EMDR that wasn't just the treatment of EMDR, it was the concept behind it that really started to make sense. And of course, studying the concept behind that is really what I began creating programs based around because cool. it's something that we can all do outside a session. And tell us a little about the concept about it. I mean, I've heard you explain about the unconscious part of us and then the conscious part of us. Maybe you could just elaborate on what are those two parts and how do our beliefs play out in our brain? Yeah. And, you know, I'll keep it brief because, you know, I, I could probably take the next <laughs> hours of describing, but to keep yeah. it really brief, you know, that 
the concept behind EMDR is, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, 95% of all of our actions, our feelings and our behaviors, they all come from or depend on the activity outside of our conscious awareness. And that's what I loved about EMDR is EMDR gets into your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. That's where all of not only our memories, our feelings, our affect, our thoughts, but all of our beliefs reside. And if all of our beliefs and all the things we know and think and feel, if they're all coming from our subconscious mind, 95%, then that would explain why we are doing the things we're doing, why we're inhibited in doing more things, why we have fear, why we have self-doubt. The problem is, is that most people don't know what's in their subconscious mind. They don't know what's lurking down there. So EMDR, in essence, uses a bilateral movement and... All it does is it takes a memory that's stuck, Mm -hmm. that isn't processed, and it dislodges it so your brain can do what it naturally does on its own. Just Mm -hmm. like when you sleep and you dream, your brain takes in all the information. It sifts through it, comes to a conclusion, Mm -hmm. because we we always have to have a conclusion, and then it files it away. But sometimes our memories get stuck. We never get to the conclusion, so we live and reenact these past events, which is why we're stuck. So EMDR dislodges that. It puts you in the same state as REM sleep mode, even though you're wide awake. It's free processing, but it helps your brain to dislodge the file so you can reprocess it and reprocess it with a conclusion that makes more sense today. Mm. Because when we're growing up, whether it's as a child, a teen, what have you, you know, what we knew back then, we know a lot more now. Yes. So okay. what, what the conclusions we came to that are stuck with these memories that are playing out in our lives and our subconscious mind, those conclusions may not be the truth anymore. Wow. And so we want to change them. So EMDR just really facilitates that process and speeds mm, it up. That's amazing. And do you find like a commonality, Michaela, with the people that visit you? Like, so the fact is we all have this unconscious memory. Doesn't it sound scary? Like there's like a cellar in our brain and it's like, you're like, okay, we all have dirty stuff down there, but do we want to open it up? You know, Mm -hmm. but you have found that when people take that brave move of opening up that cellar, what happens to them when they go through the EMDR process? Well, you know, in regards, so two part questions, what happens and then the EMDR process. So the EMDR, what, you know, one thing I've learned and as I began talking about it since 2013 at Smart Success is that EMDR in itself is just the bilateral movement. You know, there's eight phases to it. What I've added to that process, though, and it's to each own therapist, what they add is I add all of the type of therapies that support the concept, which is like ego state therapy mm-hmm. and ego psychology and psychoanalysis, all of the therapies that really work with the conscious and subconscious mind and self wow. states. But what people don't realize is that we create these illusions. Everybody does. And we almost need to, to deal with the world, the reality of the world, wow. especially as a child. So we create these illusions. That's actually what gets us stuck. So let's say, for example, the illusion that I can avoid disappointments in life. I can avoid loss, disappointments, rejection. If I don't put myself out there, I don't do these things. If I play it safe. Okay. Or if I present myself this way, not the way I really am. So we create these false illusions so that we can avoid The problem with that is that we cannot avoid disappointments. We cannot avoid 
rejection or loss. It's a part of life. So you want to think about those things as it's no different than the fact that we have to brush our teeth every day and, mm. and floss and they're going to happen. And when you can accept the reality of that, those disappointments are nearly as scary. They're just a part of life. Mm. And every time you go through a disappointment, you allow yourself to, it gets easier and easier and easier. But when you hold to the illusion, you never grow. You stay stuck like a fantasy world. So once you accept that reality to answer your question, you know, is that's when you gain control. That's when you feel powerless. That's when the fear goes away. That's when so many people are looking for clarity. And that's how you begin down the journey of really embracing and stepping into your purpose. But you can't do it with these illusions still in your life. So the starting place is really recognizing the illusions you have. Okay. Wow. So they're like coping mechanisms that we develop. It is. It, illusions are, you know, coping. It's a coping mechanism. Exactly. And it's normal and everybody does it. It's almost like as a child, you know, a good example is if a child has a parent that's, let's say, really critical okay. or is treating them in a way that they can't handle children, we need to see our parents as good and right. Mm. Otherwise, that's our livelihood. Wow. We can't stand to see them in a negative way, even mm. if they are in a negative way. Okay. So the only way to deal with that is to create an illusion that it must be me. Just okay. like we need our friends in school, in elementary school, mm. we need them. We can't see them as being bad. We need them. Yeah. They're our whole world. It's got to be me instead. So it's easier to create the illusion that it's me than the reality of the way that our parents might have been or the way that these kids might have treated us and the reality that, yes, some people are that mean or, yes, parents can have mental illness or whatever the case is. Right. Okay. So the real game then becomes of how do I discover illusions that I've created in my life? And when I discover those illusions, that's when I can find greater clarity, greater purpose, greater insight into who I really am. And how do you describe or how do you walk someone through just hearing this information, how to find their like illusions that they may have created? Well, one way you can begin is to start to look at what is it you're not doing and what do you think is helping you to cope with that or to not do it? In other words, if you think of any of your fears, how are you coping with that? What are you doing to avoid that? What are you doing to help yourself believe that you are good enough? What tells you that you matter? What tells you that you're safe, that you're capable? And if anything that's telling you that you're those things outside of simply the kind of person you are, the choices you make, mm -hmm. then we create an illusion. So, I'll, so let me give you an either will help to give you a better example. So a lot of times what I do is I will help ask somebody comes into my office. Okay, if you're standing in the middle of my office and if I take a piece of chalk and I draw it around where you're standing, what do you see in that circle that's evidence of your worth or your value? And most people might say, well, I would put in there my family, my accomplishments, my career, my job, um, the way I look, mm. you know, all of these external things that are, are worth the things that I can do for people, you know, the caretaking, the people pleasing. So they put all those things in their circle. So I then ask them, 
okay, if I take all those things and we take everything out now again, are you now worthless or unworthy and lacking value without those things? The problem with that is, is that when we start to define ourselves, which is what prompts these illusions, by the way we look, the things we do, our accomplishments, when we define ourselves, it's like, you know, 50-year-old man who, who's going through a midlife crisis gets himself a Ferrari, makes him feel worthy again. Well, what happens when it gets repossessed? Okay. He's unworthy, okay. he's worthless again. So because we continue to define ourselves and find those things, the red Ferrari is an illusion. Okay. Mm. The illusion is as long as I have this red Ferrari, I'm worthy. And um, we want to start looking at what defines us, none of those things, because that's where we lose all of our power. People and things and accomplishments hold all of our power instead of knowing, okay, I have the power because what defines me is the kind of person I am and the choices that I make today. That's it. Mm. And I can't lose that. And when you can embrace that reality, then you become fearless because if walking out on stage, if your worth is on the line, if you're gambling your worth, if I go out there and I just absolutely suck, then I'm going to lose everybody's credibility. I'm not going to have any value anymore. Then I wouldn't want to go on stage either. But that's a distortion. That's part of that illusion is that your worth and your value and your capabilities, they're never on the line. It's a part of you. And so you want to squash that illusion and be able to accept that about you. Now, with that being said, accepting that one is good enough mm-hmm. and matters means that now we have to take the self-blame off of us and put it back on the event or the person or the things in our past mm. that were ultimately making us that before. So to reiterate what you're saying is now we have to go back and discover where we're getting stuck in our unconscious mind and shift the blame off of us onto either that innate event where it's impersonal it's or person who may have also had an issue. Right. So what is an unconscious belief that someone gets stuck in if they're into emotional eating? And then what happens when they shift the blame onto the event? What happens to them after that? Well, you know, when we get into addiction, so we'll use, let's say, you know, eating disorders okay. or disordered eating, let's say bad habits or behaviors, yeah. um, overeating or restricting or binging, they're all symptoms, but they're basically expressing what we can't express in words. So they're expressing our symptoms are just representing our stories, which is our past. So, you know, we replace people with food mm. because We can't trust people, but food we can trust and food's very dependable. Yeah. And in terms of, I think your question is, what were the beliefs or how do we change beliefs? Mm -hmm. Here's where it gets tricky, but I want to keep it as simple as possible. And it's the movement with addictions and and food uh, disordered eating as well. What most people don't understand or haven't learned yet, you know, is that The mind, the psyche, we talk so much about the brain, but the brain and the mind are not the same thing, two separate things. And the brain takes orders from the mind. The mind is, you've heard the conscious and subconscious mind. So the mind, we have one mind, which is also called the personality, but that one personality has many parts. Hmm. And these other parts just represent past memories. And in those little bundles of information of past memories, 
hold everything, thought, affect, feeling, images, even in age, it holds everything that makes up its own little personality. So we have many parts of our personality, hmm. right? Okay. We have the one that's current, yeah. our conscious mind, the adult you. And then we've got these past little personalities that are in our subconscious mind. Because wow. the role of the conscious mind is literally, the literature says, to look and appear normal at all times. Hmm. But these other memories that we've gone through where we felt shame or where we felt not good enough or we felt we failed well, they're not really helpful to yeah. the conscious part of our mind. Okay. And we're not, we can't look and appear normal with those. Right. So the, so the conscious part of your mind shoves those parts into the subconscious mind. They're no good to us. Yeah. Okay. The problem okay. is, is they don't go away. Yeah. And they're, those parts of us are the parts that exhibit the symptoms of when we binge eat. Mm. That's a self-state. That's another part of you. The feelings, the negative beliefs, they're all little separate parts of you, parts wow. of your personality. So we get really hard on ourselves when we say, ah, I was all ready. You know, I went to Jenny Craig today or Nutrisystem and I got all this information. I was on it. And I had a plan. Yep. And then midnight came and I don't know what I, I just, I went and raided the fridge and I don't know why I do that every time. And the reason is because we transition in and out of these parts all day long, wow. but we don't feel it happening. We don't feel it happening. So we blame ourselves, but the adult you wasn't the one that was binging. It was another part that stepped in and was binging. That is fascinating. And then we're all like, how could I have done that? Or why would I have done that? But that's your adult self going, hey, little personality state. I did not want you here. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, okay. you know, it can get kind of deep, but it's just, it, you know, it's part of psychoanalysis. Yeah. And okay. that's why relapse is so high, because if the person going to the meeting is you in the present, the adult you, you're not the one with the problem. It's another self-state that has the problem. So if that part of you is not present in the meeting, then none of that's going to really get through and make a difference in that process of healing. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's amazing. It really is. And it, yeah. it's the movement right now too, is we used to see addictions and personality disorders and obsessive compulsive behaviors. We used to see them all as what they were as personality disorders and these okay. things. And now we are seeing all of them as more of a dissociation. So when we go into these different parts and we transition all day long and everybody does, you okay. see that adult who suddenly acts like a, like a kid yeah, yeah. or a friend who says, well, I know you're going to be mad at me, but right. you're not their parent. We see people and we can start to see that how they get into these younger self states, but we don't notice it. But it's really just kind of a process of being able to look at and being aware of when we transition okay. and opening up that communication between those parts, the adults yeah. and the child. But when you do that, when you open up the communication between them, they're able to resolve and you're able to integrate more fully, you would say? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that can be, you know, just starts with just becoming aware hmm. of, you know, all of this is we're talking about all the same, which is, you know, the subconscious mind and, you know, what's running 95% of our lives yeah. today and these self states and these parts and negative core beliefs, all of that is all in the subconscious mind. And like I was saying with dissociation, what, what they're finding is, let's say obsessive compulsive people, yep. they're finding that rather than somebody who, you know, he checks the locks all day long, 
it's not that he's got an obsessive compulsive disorder. It's that he dissociates and forgets he's in another part, the part that's locking the door. So he's in the adult part when he is checking the door. He's in a a different self state when he's locking it. So he's dissociating and not realizing realizing. that he's already locked it. Oh, so he's stuck in this revolving pattern. Fascinating. Right. Oh my gosh. Same thing with addiction. Same thing with, with all of those behaviors. We're just dissociating, which is why we lack understanding and control over those behaviors. So Michaela, you say that to really achieve success in our life, it requires brain work. What would be like your top tips to somebody who's hearing this for the first time, wants to become more aware and more conscious about some of these underlying programs that are running in their background that they don't know are driving their patterns in their life? What would you say to that person? Well, I would give them one thing to focus on and then some understanding of why. You know, keep it really simple because you can lose people in this process. And that's my goal is never to lose people and taking really just technical clinical stuff, making it so we understand. And because I get it. And that is you have to always be willing to question what you know to be true. Don't just accept that the way you see things or the way you feel, don't just accept it for face value because your perception If you think about it, if we're transitioning into our conscious and subconscious mind all day long, you've got the perception of the adult you and the conscious mind, and you've got the perception of everything in your subconscious mind too. So if your subconscious is, you know, leading the way, then your perception is seeing the present through the eyes of an eight-year-old or seeing the present through the eyes of a 20-year-old, and you wouldn't ever know it. The reason why we don't question is we have no reason to whatsoever. We wouldn't know we're in the subconscious mind. We wouldn't know we're in these parts. So because we don't know that, we don't know to question our perception. But it can so often be wrong. Just like somebody who believes fully, I'm not capable of doing these things. But the perception, we already know you're capable. If you look at your life, What have you overcome? What challenges have you already completed? Don't look at how, because we can muck it up. It doesn't matter. The fact is you got through it. What did it take? It took strength. It took courage. It took somebody who was able. It took intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. Once you're those things, you can't lose it any more than you can lose an epiphany. You can't be strong and weak at the same time. So if you're feeling weak or incapable, you're in a self-state. You're in your subconscious mind. So good news is, Most people are already everything that they are trying to be. We're already strong. We're already capable. We're already good enough. And anytime we don't have an awareness of that, you're just in your memory network. You're just in your subconscious mind. It's not really you. It's the past. Mm. So because we already know you're these things because you couldn't be where you are today if you weren't. So bottom line is stalk your perception, literally stalk it. Always stop and ask, is what I'm seeing really the truth? Is what I'm feeling really the truth? Always question what you know Wow. and have that humility to be able to do that. Otherwise, you'll be tricked. Your perception will be skewed. You'll just take it for face value, believe it, and go with it. Yeah. 
because we don't do that. We have not been taught to do that or it's not natural for us to do that. We simply see the movie that's happening before us and accept it as exactly the truth of what's happening in my life. When in actuality, you could be watching a completely wrong movie about who you really are. Exactly. And never know it. Yeah. So thank you, Makila. How can we learn more about your work and more about what you do? Tell us where we can go to just stay in touch with you and learn about your resources. Well, I'm always creating new programs. You know, it's, you know, if I had more hours in the day, but if you go to drmichaela.com, you'll see, I think many of my programs are on there, you know, and emotional eating is is specifically about disordered eating and food and weight in session is kind of like the next step up. And then you've got my unstuck program, which has some of those bilateral movements that mimic the concept of EMDR, but for future, not for past to keep it ethical. We don't want people going into their past without a therapist but you can use the same movements in the future, you know, but it's like, I always tell people therapy happens outside in the, in the world. And we don't want to be afraid of looking at ourselves because when we're looking for purpose, which everybody is, mm-hmm. we can't find purpose. We can't have purpose unless we have meaning and we can't have meaning unless we can make sense of our stories. So we want to be aware of ourselves. We want to know ourselves. If the better you know yourself, the clearer your path to purpose. Thank you, Dr. Michaela Sarno. And I just want to encourage everybody listening, please go to Dr. Michaela's website. I'm going to put it up on the video and I'll put it in the show notes, but you are going to find her resources life-changing, literally life-changing people walk out of you know sessions with Dr. Michaela and courses online literally with an entirely different life. So I encourage you to go there. And thanks everybody for listening and for watching. We love you and we will see you next time. Thanks, Dr. Michaela. You are welcome. This episode has been sponsored by knowyourhot.com. It's a community that I've created specifically to help people who struggle with weight and insecurity regarding their body image and for people who just might be struggling with their worth in Christ, like really knowing their value. I feel like all of us can benefit from having more confidence in Christ. So I would love for you to experience just a taste of it. So be my guest and go to knowyourhot.com. There you can plug in your email and I'd love to send you my latest training video. I think you'll find it incredibly useful, whether it's just personally that you're trying to lose a little bit of weight or just feel more confident and kind of be the mom that you want to be, the wife that you want to be. You want to just feel more comfortable around your friends or at work and really become that person that you know you're meant to be. I really believe there's a hot version of you inside. So I'd love for you to check it out at knowyourhot.com.